Our scripture today comes from the 10th chapter of Mark, verses 32 to 45. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, We want to do for us, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Mark Montgomery. I am also one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. I want to welcome all of you. Glad that you're here this morning. In fact, I want to welcome you back to the second week of our three-part series called The First Gospel. Now, you know, the the word gospel uh, literally means good news. And so the four gospels in our Bible are the good news of Jesus Christ. It's testifying to who and what Jesus was all about and what Jesus did. And so Mark is the first gospel. Now, if you read the Bible, you might be thinking, well, it's actually the second one, Pastor Mark. It's in the order. There's four. It's Matthew, Mark. Well, actually, it's the first gospel because it was written first. It was written around 70 A.D., most likely by a man named John Mark. It's actually the shortest of all the gospels. It's only 16 chapters. And Pastor Rob talked about this last week, that it can be broken into three different sections. So the first eight chapters of Mark revolve around Jesus portrayed as the powerful prophet, that he has great power in what he does, that he has the power to heal, and he uses that power not to oppress, 
but to heal and to love. And then there's this transition that happens in the, in the Gospel of Mark. And it, it happens at the end of chapter 8, verse 31. And this is what Mark says about Jesus. He says, Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you believe that? The nerve of that guy, right? Peter came to Jesus and rebuked him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are set in your mind, not on divine things, but on human things. You see... Chapter 9, the end of chapter 8, all the way through chapter 15, the powerful prophet becomes a suffering servant. And of course, Peter had a problem with this. He has seen the power that Jesus Christ has. He's seen the power that Jesus has to turn a few loaves and some fish and and enough food to feed thousands of people. He's seen Jesus heal person after person after person. He has seen Jesus perform a resurrection. He knows the power that Jesus has, the power to overcome anything in this world, especially evil. So the reason Peter rebuked Jesus is he was saying, Master, Messiah, Jesus, why? You're powerful. You don't have to suffer. You see what Jesus was doing when he rebuked Peter? He's teaching him. And what he's, what Mark is reminding us of in, in these chapters Jesus is teaching us that suffering is actually a divine trait. Let me give an example. So there's a man by the name of Jean-Baptiste Jules Bernadotte. He's French. Uh, He was born in 1763. He was the son of a French government worker. And when he was old enough, he joined the army. And uh, by the time the French Revolution came around, he was a sergeant in the army. In fact, he was one of Napoleon's first marshals. And... Uh, Napoleon, you know, got into wars with many countries, but one of them was Sweden. And when the French had taken the Swedes prisoners, when they had Swedish prisoners, Bernadotte was, I guess, in charge of that, of that unit of, of caring for those Swedish prisoners. And the way that he treated them had such an impact on Sweden, particularly the king at that time, which was King Charles the 13th. He looked fondly upon Bernadotte. So much so that when the crown prince died, the crown prince of Sweden died in 1808, Sweden offers this former enemy in somebody else's army an opportunity to be next in line. They offered Bernadotte to be the next crown prince. I mean, yeah, the next crown prince next in line to the throne. And so he was. He changed his name from Bernadotte to uh, Charles John. And he was the crown prince for eight years, from 1810, rather, not 1808, 1810, all the way to 1818. And then when the king passed away, Bernadotte, the son of a French government worker, became the king of Sweden. He was King Charles the the 14th. Isn't that wild? And he reigned for 26 years until his death in 1844. And he was seen as a harsh but popular monarch. And then when they were embalming him, the people who were caring for his body as they were preparing him for burial, they found this ironic secret. On his chest, 
he had this red cap, which meant liberty, tattooed on his chest. And then with the words tattooed over it that said, Mort Ox Roy, which means death to all kings. Isn't that ironic, right? You see, what's ironic about Bernadotte is that he couldn't stand his oppressors. And that one day, he had, when, but when he had the opportunity, instead of seeking liberty, when he had the opportunity to seize power, he seized it and he lorded it over his people. And friends, history is filled with people like this. People who railed against the system and then when they were offered an opportunity to seize power, they took it and they lorded it over other people. And so what Jesus teaches us about power is that through suffering, he does something different. He flips the script and that's... That's what happens with Jesus. That's why the suffering servant is so important. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what that means for Jesus, that he was a suffering servant, and what that means for us as we follow Jesus out into this world. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at our passage today in great detail, specifically verses 32 through 45. And so as you turn there, whether you have your Bible with you or it's on your phone or it's in your pew back, I want to give you a little bit of context. So there are three times in the book of Mark when Jesus explicitly predicts his suffering and his death. Right? He does that at the end of chapter nine, or chapter eight, rather, verse thirty-one. He does it again in chapter nine. But the reason I find chapter ten, his prediction here, so compelling is the context that surrounded it. You see. In verse 32 of chapter 10, Mark says that Jesus and his disciples were on the way to Jerusalem. And it says the disciples were afraid. You see, the reason they were afraid, any disciple, they were amazed and afraid. The reason they were this way is any Jewish disciple of Jesus would have known that if Jesus is the Messiah and they're on the road to Jerusalem, which is the seat of power for the nation of Israel, that if he is the Messiah, then they are on the way to to overthrow the Roman government. That he is going to go back and and by force, by power, he is going to restore the nation of Israel back to where it is. And that means they're going to be a part of this. And that the powerful prophet's going to do some amazing thing with his power, with his force, with his might. And so that's their expectation as they're on the road to Jerusalem. And yet Jesus pauses as they're on the way. And in verse 33, it's actually on the screen. Jesus says, see... We're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. In this moment, Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching us that ultimately power, his power, will bring hope, not through force, but through suffering. So ironically, the suffering of God is a source of hope and power for two different reasons. Well, number one, the suffering servant chose the cross. You see, Jesus wasn't compelled to go to the cross. Jesus chose the cross out of a deep love for you and I. He holds nothing back to show love and to save the world. Now, some people... We'll struggle with the idea of a suffering God. Amen. I mean, some of y'all might be thinking, how in the world, why in the world will God allow God's self to suffer? Well, let me ask you a question. Picture for a moment that you are the most powerful person in the world. 
Now, your spouse would, might disagree with you, but you are the most powerful person in this world. You have the nicest clothes on because you are the most powerful person in this world and you're going to a very important event. I mean, you are the most powerful person in the world. You are surrounded by your posse. You have a large posse. You're the most powerful person in the world, right? Are you with me? You have your child with you that day and for whatever reason, you lose sight of your child and then when you find your child again, they're drowning in muddy water next to you. What do you do? You're all dressed up. You're powerful. What would you do? You're going to jump in those waters, wouldn't you? I mean, right? If my son was drowning, my son Liam, if he was drowning in muddy water, it doesn't matter how fancy my clothes are, how powerful I am, I'm jumping in those waters. Now, Alan Paquette, I love you, but if I'm surrounded by my posse and I have, I'm not going to send you to do it. I'm going to push you out of the way, man. I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to do it myself, right? You're not going to have somebody else save your child. You're going to do it yourself. You're not going to go change in a bathing suit because you don't want to get your clothes all dirty. You're not going to think twice about it. You're going to jump in. Amen. Friends, that's what God does for us. God looked out and saw that this world was suffering and through Jesus Christ chose to get dirty and in the mud and to suffer. Showing us not only that God loves us, but that God is willing to suffer for us. And in that moment, we see that Jesus chose the cross. Jesus chose to suffer because he loves you and he loves me. The second reason that the suffering God is a source of hope, that the powerful prophet would become a suffering servant, is the suffering servant knows our suffering. We're not alone. Now, we all go through difficult moments in our lives that we could identify as suffering. Would you agree? We do that. And it might be normal in those moments to think that God is distant That God is aloof, that God isn't present, that God doesn't care about us. But that's not at all what the Gospel of Mark teaches us about Jesus. In fact, it's just the opposite, that Jesus is there in the midst of our suffering with us, that he understands when we suffer, he walks with us through it. You see, instead of answering why does God allow suffering to happen, the Gospel of Mark simply answers who is with us in the midst of our suffering. God's not off the hook when we suffer. God's right there on the hook with us through our suffering. The suffering servant knows our suffering. We're never alone. Well, back to our story. So this idea of suffering servant, it has implications on our lives, right? If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, and that means that as we follow him, we most certainly will experience suffering in our life as we follow where Christ leads. And so go back to the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. They're still walking to Jerusalem. Jesus has just told them, guys, we're not going to forcibly take power. I'm, I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed. I'm going to be killed. I just want you to know, without skipping a beat, James and John, two of his disciples, they walk up and they... They show us all why it's important to pay attention when Jesus talks, all right? And they walk up and they say, Jesus, we are the sons of Zebedee. We want you to do something. Whatever we ask of you, we want you to do. And I could just imagine imagine Jesus. Like, he's just said all this stuff. He knows what's coming. He knows what's in their heart. And he kind of rolls his eyes, right? And Jesus says, all right, James and John, let's hear it. You know, what, what do you want to ask me? And they say, Jesus... 
Now, they're thinking that Jesus is going to go and overthrow the Roman government, right? And that he's going to restore Israel back to its glory. And he's going to sit in this throne room. And he's going to be, you know, clothed in glory. And they say, Jesus, we want you to say to us that we will sit at your right and left hand in your glory. And I could just imagine if I were Jesus, I'd laugh. Say, ha, right? You don't know what you're asking. Said, are, are you able to drink the cup I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And I feel like James and John looked over and said, yeah, we've been doing push-ups. We're doing sit-ups. We're able. We can do all this. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, but you will drink the cup I drink of. He will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But as far as who sits at my right and left hand, that's not something for me to decide. And what Jesus says, in effect, is you will follow me in my suffering. Well, the other disciples. I mean, this is all happening in, in successive order, right? I mean, the disciples here, James and John, ask this ridiculous question. And then they come up and they're ticked off. And they say, Jesus, how could you allow this? You, you know, why would you let James and John even consider sitting at your right and left hand? They didn't say all this, I'm implying, but... This is how Jesus responds. It's on the screen in verse 42 and 45. He says, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, they lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Read this last part with me. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. To drink the cup that Jesus drinks, to join in his baptism, is to follow him into suffering. Not that our life would be all about suffering, that's not the point. But we must understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, that often our own suffering is not something that we should run from or blame God for. In fact... There are a few things that suffering can do for us. Number one, suffering can prevent us from being complicit in the evil ways of this world. Look at Pontius Pilate. He was a Roman official, and in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, he met Jesus, he talked to Jesus. He was the one to make the decision whether or not Jesus would be crucified. And he decided that Jesus was innocent. But he was afraid of the mob. He was afraid of losing his job. He was afraid of what would happen of suffering the consequences of allowing Jesus to stay alive. And so he brought him out and he went to the crowd and he brought over this other prisoner named Barabbas. And he said, you choose Jesus or Barabbas. And the crowd chose Barabbas. And they said, put Jesus to death. And so Pilate goes and he washes his hands and he thinks he's absolved himself of the death of Jesus. But he's the guy responsible. He just didn't want to suffer. You see, suffering can prevent us from being uh, complicit in the evil ways of this world. Second, suffering can be a place where we experience a deep connection with God. In Mark chapter 15, I believe it's 21, uh, as Jesus was forced to carry his cross to Calvary, he'd been beaten, flogged, he was tired, he was worn out, he hadn't slept. He was carrying this heavy cross to Calvary, the place that he would die, and he couldn't carry it any longer. And so the Roman soldiers... They look out in the crowd and they grab this stranger. And Mark says, this is Simon of Cyrene. And they pull him in, uh, forward and he's got to carry the cross for Jesus. 
the rest of the way. Now, how in the world does Mark know who this stranger is, what his name is, and where he's from? More than that, he says, y'all know him. This is Rufus and Alexander's dad. How does Mark know that? I'm willing to bet that when Simon of Cyrene was pulled out of the crowd and forced to suffer alongside Jesus Christ, that he formed this deep connection with the living God. That as they walked that road to Calvary together, that his heart was convicted. And that his life was transformed for the rest of his life. And it had such a huge impact. It didn't just change Simon of Cyrene, but it changed Rufus and Alexander, his sons. So much so that the early Christian church knew exactly who they were. Because Mark said, hey, this is Rufus and Alexander. Y'all know who they are. Suffering can be a place where we experience a deep connection with God. Number three, finally. Suffering can be a, a great source of power and hope. You see, the, the three times in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus explicitly predicts his coming, suffering, and death, he always, always, always concludes by saying, and after three days, rise again. Even in Mark chapter 14, when he was in front of the high priest council, he predicted his ascension, his power, his, his ascension into heaven, that he would be seated at the right hand of power Suffering can be a great source of power and hope. Let me give you a concrete example about this. So in Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 34, Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. And these are the last words that Jesus speaks. They're Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translates to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we hear these words without context and we think, man, Jesus chose the cross, but he must have regretted it at some point. He must have felt like God was distant. And this is a cry of desperation. Oh, no. What does this mean for us? Do you know he's actually quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. It says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And what's important to know about the Psalms is that's actually a hymn book. It's a song book of the, the Jewish people. They would sing through the Psalms. Psalm 22 was one of their most famous songs. It was something that any Jewish person hearing that first line would have picked up on that song and known exactly what Jesus was singing about. And it's a song of great power and of great hope. They knew it. They knew the song. Let me uh, let me try something out. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Sing it with me. That saved a wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Great job, guys. We know songs of hope. They sit in our hearts and we never forget them. Jesus was singing a song of hope. He shouldn't have the breath to finish. He could only get the first line out. Had he finished Psalm 22, do you know how it ends? It's up on the screen. Verse 30 and 31. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. That is you and that is me saying that he has done it. 
Jesus was seen of God's power and hope through deliverance as he proved through his suffering and death that he accomplished exactly what the song was proclaiming. The powerful prophet became the suffering servant. Why? To give us hope. To rescue us in our time of need. To show us how to truly use all the power that God has given us for good. Even though it means that we most certainly will follow Jesus Christ into suffering, that also means that we will taste of the hope to come. Now, the truth is a good sermon will comfort the afflicted and it will afflict the, uh, the, the comfortable. So here's what I would say. If you are afflicted with suffering right now in your life, I just want to speak to you for a moment. Friends, there is hope more than that. God is with you in the deepest moment of your suffering, not just watching you suffer. God is walking with you through your suffering. Jesus Christ is suffering with you in your moment. Know that there is great hope in that. And I just want to also take a moment too, and if you're comfortable in your life, I just want to afflict you just a little bit. Right? If you are comfortable in your life and and you haven't experienced suffering in in a while, I would just invite you to look for that in your life. That sounds weird for me to say, I admit. But I want to invite you to look for suffering. Let me give you some context behind it. You see, when Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, if you want to be first, you have to be last. If you must be a servant, you must be a slave to all. We, we need to sacrifice for each other and for the world out there because that's who God has called us to be. That's who Jesus has called us to be. And as we go out and make those great sacrifices, it will most certainly cause suffering. And so I would invite us, if we are comfortable in our life, to make some sacrifices that we might experience that suffering in those moments and join Jesus Christ out where he calls us in this world. So that as we do so, we might share our hope with others, that we might remind them they're not alone, that we might be the ones who offer comfort to the afflicted. See, the Gospel of Mark is a complicated book, but it was written to remind us that in the midst of the dark tunnel of desperation that we experience, we walk through that we can be certain that we're not alone. That God is with us. God died for us and on the third day rose to new life and offers that to every single one of us. If we would yet trust and believe in his goodness. That we would see that beacon of light so we won't lose our way. And that the power of God would shine brightly through us so that through our suffering we might offer and experience the power and the hope that comes through the suffering servant, Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope you give us through Jesus Christ. Lord, for the opportunity we have as his children to follow where he leads, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength to do so. That in our suffering, we would find hope. That through it all, we would remember that we are never alone. That you are with us. We pray, Lord that you would lead us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and give you thanks. And all God's people said, Amen.